Liberia Enlightenment series here with Reverend Joseph C. Ezekiel Davis. Uh, today we're going to take another look of a Liberian president with on our with on our tarbot. But before we start this uh, session uh, series today, uh, we're going to go right into our national item, the Liberia National Item. I want for us to listen to the Liberia National Item and right away, we're going to go right into our show today, the Liberia National Item. Again, welcome to Dark and Calm Church and Society with Reverend Joseph Sifa Z.K. Davis. The Enlightenment Movement. Again, that was the Liberia National Anthem. Long live Liberia, happy land. Home of liberty. 
uh, hell Liberia hell uh, right now we go right into our discussion for today and today we have a very 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 interesting topic what do we know about the person who ended the rule of America Liberians in Liberia with on our October and right now I'm gonna go right into my PowerPoint as I usually do uh, there we go Dark in the Calm, Church and Society with Reverend Davis. And our topic today is, uh, today's talk, what do we know about Widon Arotaba? But you see, today I want to start this program from where I end there on last Saturday. Last Saturday I talked about Widon V.S. Tuckman. The longest serving president in the history of Liberia. Indeed, there are so many things that William V.S. Tubman did that we can criticize him about. Yes, I agree with that. But I know a lot of people have so much disagreement that I was saying all these good things about William V.S. Tubman. Let me just take you back to a little bit of history. If you look at American history, the founding fathers that founded America, yeah. That was a great thing to date. But they still had their own slaves in the formation of their country. But today, Americans and we who are naturalized Americans are listening, we hail them for the things they did. So I want for us to be able to do that and have that conversation about our motherland, Liberia. Not just talk about all the terrible things. Yes, the terrible things are good. When the terrible things upweigh, the good things, then we spend more time there on, on, on the on the terrible thing. I told I told a friend, I said, the 27 years of wedding VS Tutman that we should have talked about. More than half of that year was was used to build a country, to build an economy, a country that did not have economy, a country that was about to lose its sovereignty. That's the kind of country that Tutman uh, 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 inherited from Barclay. Go back to Barclay, go back to Charles T.B. King. You realize that Liberia was at the edge of losing her sovereignty as a nation. And Tuckman even was the one that represented Liberia to the League of Nations after resigning his seat as senator for Maryland County. But let's see. Tuckman inherited a mess. He inherited a messy country. A country that was about to lose his sovereignty. That's the country that Tuckman inherited. But then now they come to they come to Tarbo. He was vice president for Tuckman for, for about 19 years, if I'm right. Yeah, he was vice president to Tuckman. So he knew everything that was happening. He did not inherit a broke government. No, Tarbo did not inherit a broke government. At the time of Tuckman's death, Liberia was the second major producer of iron ore in the world. Rubber, Liberia was number one. So the resources in Liberia, the economy in Liberia was great. Even the economy of Liberia was compared to that of Japan during the period leading to the death of William V.S. Tuckman after he built that economy. So let's see what the Tuckman inherited from the, from the president that he said for all these years. That's where I wanted to start from. But 
I want to start by reading to you a quote. A quote that was written by a renowned scholar on Liberian history. He's an American. I know some of would disagree because he's an American. But he, he, he was a renowned scholar on Liberia politics. And this is what he says. I want to start with this. He said, for all his, he referring to Tuckman, he said, for all his authoritarian, however, of all his authority, however, Tuckman is not a dictator. He has said, rather as the managing director of an impairment in control change. And he has not been able at any particular moment to stray away from the interests of the American Liberian group that continues that constitute his main base of political power. Nevertheless, to the possible detriment of his own program of long-range reforms, he has become the indispensable man. Tribal challenges have not lag alone on the scale and few American Liberians have been able to build substantial base of, of support among the tribal people. The frequency of tournaments extended help leaves and his age compel the leadership of Liberia of the Liberian state to ask the long avoided question. And that's the law of other question I want to start with. After Tottenham, what? Did we answer that question? Did Widow Arataba answer that question? After Tottenham, what? 27 years, that's long, longevity, building the economy. Though after the economy began to bloom, he profited for it. It's not disagreeable. He, 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 he punished some of his, uh, uh, those who were opposition to him. He, he tried his uh, 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 Bible family senior uh, for treason and he found guilty and he was sentenced to prison. But he got clemency by his vice president who took over as president. So after Tottenham, what? That's the question we need to ask and that's the question I want for us as audience to scramble with. Since the time of Tottenham, what? That's, what, that's the question I have to stumble with. Then we got a new page of Widow Arataba. He wasn't charismatic like Tuckman. He was a clergy president like myself. So what do we know about Widow Arataba? Uh, most of us may know, and some of us may not know, he was born May 13, 1930 in Bensonville, Liberia. He was a trained civil servant, so he dedicated his life to government. He entered the country's House of Representatives in 1943, and he was elected vice president to Wade and Tuckman in 1952, and served in that position until he became president following, following Tuckman's death in 1971. He was killed in a coup d'etat led by Samuel uh, Kanyendo in April 12, 1980. And we all know the whole coup story, though we were very young at the time. 
But there are so many different, different scenarios where it comes to the coup that happened that day. And at the end of the podcast, I'm going to look at three different scenarios about the death of uh, of, of Widon Arotabot. And I'm going to give my own perspective and view on who killed Tabot. Okay, let's see a little bit about his uh, family who uh, uh uh, taught, uh Taba, yeah, who was Taba? Continue. He attended Benson, uh, Benson Elementary School, Kamaha, Episcopal High School, and graduated summa cum laude from the University of Liberia. So he was a genius. He was a smart guy. He married Victoria A. David of American Liberian and Va descent. So his wife had language of the indigenous tribe Va in Liberia. He was a Baptist minister. And in 1965, he became the first African to serve as president of the Baptist War Alliance. So this guy wasn't just president. This guy was this whole religious figure. If you even look at the time of his death, his vice president was the bishop of the United Methodist Church. So during that period, we can say Liberia was led by two men of God, two people who were preachers, who were ministers, educated. Not like the one that just said he's a pastor now, Josh. We are no. But these are educated pastors. He might he was a Baptist minister and Tabak. Uh Tabak was the second Liberian president after President Stephen Allen Benson to speak an indigenous language. And he promoted a program to bring more indigenous person into government. The predecessor started bringing indigenous people into government. Tabo followed sin to bring more indigenous people into government since the government 100 uh, all those years were dominated by American Liberians. But here is a fact and truth. Indigenous people were in government. They weren't leading government, but they were in government. Because if we go back to Charles D.B. King, he had two vice presidents who were indigenous. One from Sano and one from Maryland. So then we come to Tottenham, his foreign minister was an indigenous from the Madingo tribe. So indigenous were in government. They were senators. So the whole idea that during those years there were no indigenous serving government, that's a myth. There were indigenous serving in government. But they were in leading or they they, they wasn't leading the whole oligarchy of American Liberians in the Republic. So he spoke pellet. So that was interesting. If you go back, you hear that, that he proposed even pellet to be a national language for the Republic of Liberia. And today, pellet is taught at the University of Liberia. But which I think was a poor decision. Because if you are president, if you want to make pellet a national dialect, you do not start from the University of Liberia. No, you start it from elementary schools. That's how you create a national dialect for the people. You teach it throughout all elementary schools in the Republic so people learn pellet throughout. And when they come to the university, they could do advanced pellet. That was another poor decision that Tarver that made. If he actually wanted a national dialect, like in Ghana, they got a tree. If we had wanted a national dialect, then we could have done it. But that was some of the poor decision part of his leadership. 
because even if you go to Zambia, a place where I've been, they got more than 72 local languages, but there is one national language or dialect to speak called Bemba. And Bemba is taught throughout every high school and elementary school. So kids go to kindergarten first grade to start learning Bemba. Every year, they learn another grade of Bemba until they graduate. So by the time they graduate, they are well seasoned in Bemba. So we can still have a national language. That's not high. We can start teaching the languages now for elementary school. Then in the next 20 years, you will find a lot of people speaking that language everywhere in Liberia. Okay, his parents. Uh, let's get a little bit about talking parents. Uh, with an Arataba senior and uh, uh, Charlotte Agasta Talbot. His grandparents were Daniel Frank Tobo, a former African, a former American slave from South Carolina who immigrated to Liberia in the Liberian Exodus of 1878. Maybe you might not be familiar with the Liberian Exodus, but the Liberian Exodus is after the signing of the Emancipation by Abraham Lincoln, they decided to send free slaves back to Africa. And they were finding hard means to decrease this free slave population, even though there was slavery stay in the south of the United States. So there were blacks coming from the Caribbeans and throughout America, they were moving down to Liberia to create and be part of the first independent state. Liberia was the first independent state in Africa and the second independent black state in the world. And the first independent black state in the world was Haiti. So now we're getting to know a little bit about Talbot. And now we're going to start moving towards government. Talbot and the Constitution. Is it Talbot was a very interesting figure. When Talbot came into power, imagine he has spent about 19 years as vice president to the longest serving president in the history of our country. Like I said earlier, do not be fooled with the 27 years. If you look at our history, you will realize that more than half of the 27 years was used to build a government and build an economy for the country because the country was at zero, about to lose its sovereignty. It was at zero. Yeah. So let's just take a little bit of Tava and the Constitution. There were one party system in Liberia. He successfully worked for a constitutional amendment to bond the president, the president from serving more than eight years in office. See the unlimited term from his predecessor. Tarba said, we gotta work on this thing. We cannot have a president staying this very long time in power. And in 1976, he vowed fiercely opposition to members of the legislature who sought to repeal the amendment and again permit what Tarba called an evil tradition. So the oligarchy, the American librarians who were dominant in the Senate and in the House of Representatives, they still wanted to go back to that whole system, you know, the long-term presidency. And, and it was only one party, the two-way party. And the two-way party had their late caucus along this, they had their election within their, within their party and the presidency let the president become president for the republic. So there was a one-party system. 
And who brought about one by his sister? It go back to kings. In the 1920s, he brought about the one-party system. But before then, Liberia was more than one-party system. If you just join us, I want to say welcome to the Liberia Enlightenment Series. Here on Diakonacom, host Reverend Joseph Cephas Z.K. Davis. We are enlightening our people because like for this enlightenment movement, we are saying if any man or woman want to lead Liberia, must love Liberia more than self. And this enlightenment series is, a, is to enlighten us, for us to be able to understand our political history and the history of our formation and before our formation. That's the only way, if we understand these things, that's the only way we can be able to look at our faults and failures and see where we can go as a nation and as a people for a more prosperous Liberia that will benefit every every sons and daughters of Liberia. So again, if you're just stopping by, I want to say welcome to the Liberia Enlightenment series, host Reverend Davis. So Tobo became fierce. He said, no, this cannot happen. So there were so many things that Tobo got fierce of. If we go back again, you, you look at the ritualistic killing that was happening in, in, in Maryland from 1967 to 1977, the year I was born. There was so much killing. And at a point in time, when Tob, when Tob took over, he expelled the superintendent at the time, Anderson. Yep, he got rid of the superintendent because the superintendent was not confiding the amount of death that was taking place. And you all know the story. If you've been following Liberian story, you will get to know that those people who were involved in ritualistic killing, they were found guilty and they were executed. Now we're going to go to other areas where trouble, trouble starts to happen. You know, most of us, we spend time and saying Tawa was this great and wonderful president. Yes, he was. You know, and we just the main Tuckman and other people in our government. But here is it. We continue. Tarba and nepotism. What do you think? Because anytime you talk about Tarba, it's uncertain. The next thing that come out is nepotism. So let's go. Let's go to the facts. What is nepotism in politics? You know, if you want to know a little, little story of nepotism, nepotism is derived from the Italian war. It, it, it began from the religious institution when the bishops, you know, the Pope, when they brought in relatives in higher hierarchy in the Vatican. So political nepotism, yes, political nepotism. What is, what is nepotism in politics? Nepotism is a common accusation in politics when the relative of a powerful figure ascends to similar to similar power seemingly without appropriate qualification. I want to hear I want for you to hear that without appropriate qualification. That take for example, look at the Eddie Johnson government. I would say it was it was it was it, I would say it was nepotism because from the position like a son at at the national oil company took over, he wasn't qualified for that position. So in another sense, it would be nepotism. But if he were qualified politically, from the politically, political speaking point, that would not be nepotism. But other people 
as general with core nepotism because they are relative. It's not just about relative in politics. It's about unqualified relatives being placed in the position of power. That's what nepotism is. Let's take, for example, right here in our own context. Nepotism is happening right here in the United States government because, number one, Jerry Kushner is the top advisor to the United States president. He's not qualified. He knows nothing about diplomacy. He knows nothing about negotiation, but he's there because that's his father-in-law. His daughter, that's nepotism. If Jerry Kushner was a negotiator, if he had taught training in diplomacy, had worked in government, and his father-in-law had placed him in that position, politically, that would not be called nepotism. But generally, as some people have points of family, we call it nepotism. But political nepotism is putting people in position, your family members in position, that are not qualified. That's why you call nepotism in politics. But Tobo appointed his brother Stephen Allen Tobo as Minister of Finance. Sometimes you hear the name Stephen Allen Tobo. I, I learned about Stephen Tobo. I just used to hear the name, but I decided to do my own research and and, 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 and deep research on, on, on Stephen uh, Allen Tobo. He was appointed as final minister. But you ever say, Tobo, in reality, Tobo had worked in government. He graduated from the university. He was given scholarship at Tuckman. He went to, he, he came to the U.S. to go to Harvard. And he left, he transferred to Missouri State University. He graduated with, he got a, got a second bachelor and he got a master's degree. His master's degree was in forestry. So when he went back home, he became Secretary of Commerce and, and, and he worked with the Commerce, he worked with for, uh, 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 the, the FDA. He did a lot of, lot of amazing work in government. You need to follow his history. He did a lot of amazing work in government. He even created statues that we are even uh, uh, in our government today uh, 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 benefiting from. In another sense, he was a visionary. Even though he was a he was a he was a, uh, a president brother, but he was a visionary. But we call him hypothetic because that was a president brother. He was the president brother, so we were calling hypothetic. But from a political standpoint, he was qualified. He had worked in government. He had worked through different different deals. He had increased uh, productivity. In the different different ministries and sector he working, there are proven evidence record of the things he did in government uh, when his brother was vice president. There were so many things he did. Yeah. We know he appointed his you know his families and other stuff. We we'll come back to Stephen Allen Tarbo, a controversial figure. Mr. Tarbo was credited with whipping up corruption in his ministry and tripling government revenue since he took over the finance portfolio in 1972. This is not my source. This is New York Times, April 30, 1975. New York Times is one of the best news agencies in the world. So New York Times tells us when the guy took over finance ministry, so nobody knew what Toba was thinking to appoint his brother, but he knew his brother track record because his brother had worked in government. Yeah, 
with, I agree with you when you say it's nepotism. But from a political standpoint, that's not nepotism. Because he was qualified. He wasn't unqualified for the position. Like Eddie Johnson said, he put her children in position they weren't qualified for. That is nepotism. But the appointment of Stephen Tower, you know, you can disagree with me or agree with me. It wasn't nepotism from a political standpoint. They say he was a controversial figure. That's true. He was, he was very, very controversial, yeah. But he was credited with wiping up corruption in his ministry and tripling government revenue. The guy was the guy was former minister for a very short period, three years. He died in a plane crash. When he went to a meeting in Sano on his way back, he died in a plane crash. But imagine from 1972 to 75, this is what Tutman Toba did. The one that is sent Toba because yeah, Stephen Toba is central to the whole nepotism thing when you talk about when you talk about the Toba administration. In his brief tenure as Minister of Finance from 73 to 75, revenue increased from 77.6 million to 108 million point four in 1974 and 11 million in 1975. But now to the finance minister, you know, people say, you know, the educated people they said was stupid. Yeah, but to the finance minister, he put on more debt. He doesn't create avenue for the country to raise money. That's one of his portfolio. But this is what Tottenham did. This is what Toba did. The guy who is central to nepotism when you talk about his brother in Liberian politics. This is what he did. This is where he took our economy. So we got to talk about these things. We can't just say, oh, you want nepotism. Oh, and, you know, come on. You know, I just read a piece on Facebook uh, from from Samuel Jackson, uh, a book where he uh, talked, giving differences of corruption of the American Liberians and the Native, how the American Liberians, the, uh, how the American Liberian investors, they had share in companies and other things. It was a very intriguing piece. Uh, right after the show, I'm ordering that book and I'm going to read it. I'm going to read that entire book and I'm hoping to call Samuel Jackson here on Dark in a conference to talk about that book. If you just join us, I want to say thank you. Welcome to Dark Inner Camp Chesham Society. Welcome, welcome to Dark Inner Camp Chesham Society. Hosted by Reverend Joseph Sifaziki Davis. We are on the Enlightenment series, the Liberia Enlightenment series. Okay, this is another big one. Turbo. And the rest right of 1979. I think this rest riot issue was Tarbo's biggest, biggest mistake. And what was the mistake? Not, not about raising the, the price of rights. The mistake was by ordering his army to fire a protester. That was the mistake. And as I read more about Tarbo, I wonder, did he have some smart advisor around him or what? 
were he getting like you know some consultation because if you're getting some consultation there's no way he was going to allow his soldier to shoot at people in reality if you look at the whole issue of the rest riot it was manipulated by politicians the so-called progressive alliance the progressive that just come back from Matthew. the whole idea of multi-party system is what they're bringing to liberia oh my gosh i'm waiting to bring one progressive on this uh progressive alliance uh doctrine later on this broadcast to talk about the progressive movement i think that movement was a failure to the liberian people it was manipulated by politicians but let's go to the rest rest right let's go to the actual issue of the rest right the initial cause was a decision by president William Tarver on the advice of Florence Chenoweth who was his minister of agriculture at the time to increase the price of rice so she advised him to increase the price of rice Rice was a major drain on foreign reserve and China will argue, so she made the case to the president, that raising the price who encourage local rice farmers to increase production and promote self-sufficiency. And if you go back and you know you do a little bit of reading about Florence Chinaway, you know, in the her decision making process to the president convincing him. Because at the same time, there were people who were forbidding farming. They were moving to the city to find jobs. They were moving to Firestone to, you know, to make the quick dimes instead of the farming. So in another sense, raising the price of the rice, it would help to keep people in the farming business. But here is it. You know, did the president look at that thing critically? Because it was just raising the price from 22 to 26. So $4 dollars different. But here's a big problem that brought about the whole issue. The president was a major rice farmer and opposition leader argued that the rice was being increased just to benefit him. You see, that's the whole thing. He was into farming. And later on, I'll talk about the, the, the president, uh, the, the, the family business, a uh, uh, Maserati group of companies. You know, if he actually, you know, I must say I was kind of blinded on the Maserati group of companies, but if you find, according to some historical documents, you know, it was funded uh, by his brother, he and his brothers, Stephen Tubber, this visionary, after he graduated from, from, from school, he went back, you know, according to the document, he got 5,000 loan from his brother, and how can he started his little business, but come on. Your brother's vice president, there'll be some influence, you'll be able to get some grant. Yeah, so all those things happen. Yeah, so that was the main reason. Because his family was producing rice. So the progressives say they're raising the rice price for him to get more money. But come on. Even if the president in a rough business, if the rice if the rest is maybe increased by that price and and there is more production and rice is being exported all of liberia that's not a blessing it's a blessing for the country it's a blessing for the economy as well it will boom the economy but you know but for the progressive alliance you know they want a power back of mafia he led the progressive alliance you know back of mafia was just a talkative the guy had only associate's degree he would just talk talk. He was just a talkative. I want somebody to come here on Dark Kingdom to come and disprove me as we talk about the progressive movement. 
I was a failure to the Liberian people. Because you were led by people who were very smart. Sorry to say that. But you welcome the count dark in a camp and defend your your doctrination of the progressive alliance of Liberia. It is believed that Rex Ryan was politically manipulated. And that's true. It was manipulated by the recent progressive alliance. Yeah. But you can blame the people too. Because come on. There is Tubba. There is Tubba here. He got his, you know, he's in the business. And, but, but here's a good thing about it. You know, uh, in Simon Johnson, later piece I read on Facebook, you talk about, you know, you talk about the American Liberians, you know, like investing into the country. You know, they had share that that business and corporation was running, but all the business corporation, they were Liberians were higher. Liberians had work, so as a result, you know, people weren't feeding. You know, people believe and they were feeling the economy was better for them because they had work. Like today, no work, no. But he doesn't just keep ticking, 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 ticking. Talk about the economy. So we're doing something like man of our people. Let's know about our president. Let let them know about the political talking point I grew up with. Because we 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 you know political talking point. We grew up with so many political talking points in Liberia. And we do not even do more research to be really engaged efficiently. That's a problem. Like I said, the beginning of my enlightenment movement, I came across a video by Ishbor, my family. I will always say this. He said, the Swedish ambassador asked him, what do you want me to do for your people? And he said, I want for you to build libraries throughout Liberia. And he said, the reason you're asking the God to build library through all Liberia, he said, because I want my people to read, put in good books, let them read so they can engage from an informed perspective. You know, those political talks I grew up with, some of the political talks, they are just myth. They, they, they are not true historically. And there is no evidence to back some of the historical talks that we grew up with. We call them rhetorics, yeah. So let's go to Tarbot and the economy. Like from the beginning, I told you when Tarbot took over, it was a brilliant economy. It was a brilliant economy. At the point of Tarbot's death, the library economy was great. There was surplus. People that were buying our rubbers and our iron ore. We have partners to buy them. So the economy was doing well. But you know what There was a major there was a major uh stuff that, that Tutman did. Let remember during Tutman time, Tutman took our educational budget from eighty three million from 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 eighty three thousand to more than two million. And a lot of people were given scholarship to study abroad. And you may ask me, where are all these educated people? The first indigenous president ran it under Liberia. He executed some of them. So they all around Liberia working for the UN, working for different, different countries and making different, different countries prosper. The first indigenous president ran it under Liberia. That's the simple answer. 
elementary elementary and secondary school enrollment increased so he starts to encourage people you know for us to get more educated people in our country uh elementary school of elementary elementary from 31 percent to 60 percent that's a great improvement for the economy to empower and educate the younger ones down there and secondary school from two percent to twenty percent Liberia two principal export rubber and IO press drop a question on a reflection the trouble diplomatic action caused this breaking tie with the US when I get I, I get a I get a slide on trouble and, and foreign policy and, and we'll talk a little bit deeper you know those decision those diplomatic decision he made did it affect our economy at the time and you're not sure I would say yes foreign debts oh that's not uh, seven of uh, for, foreign debt rose from rose from 158 million to 600 million between 1970 and 1979 that's a debt range for the republic so we're going to continue with uh, the economy we continue uh, the economic stagnation uh, added to domestic tension and resentment over the wealth of the president family. The Mesorado Group of Companies. I told you about the Mesorado Group of Companies. It was funny about talking about his brother at the time. Tarkbar was vice president. And, and in reality, the Mesorado Group of Companies, a higher level of Liberians. It was importing, exporting, food, fish, anything you think about. It was the first Liberia-owned multi-million conglomerate since the Mesorado Group of Companies. There have been nothing like that in Liberia. Nothing, nothing like that in Liberia. You know, though it was a, though it was a family. Though that when he was vice president, I showed there was influence that that gave him some contract. It's part of government. It happens. But this group of company. It was booming our economy. That's a reality. It got the fuss, and it got it got the, 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 the good side and the bad side for this kind of investment. Like what Samuel Johnson said in your piece. The bad side for those who claim to be indigenous, they don't they don't build the kind of stuff in Liberia, no. They don't build the kind of businesses, no. They just take the money and they go uh, bank it somewhere. They don't do this kind of thing, no. Like people accuse, you know, Ben you of stealing money from the country. But Ben you are the first person that made Liberian to use cell phone. The cell phone you use in Liberia today because of Ben Ayure. The investment right into Liberia. So there was an investment into Liberia. But still, we cannot disagree to say there was a political power influence on these businesses. Indeed, these businesses benefited from government. But it provided jobs for the Liberian people. Okay, uh, in May of 1975, Liberian became a signatory of the treaty that established the uh, ECOWAS. The assignment of ECOWAS helping the economy. Uh, one of the good things that Tarbot did, old concession agreement were renegotiated and new concession agreement were negotiated with an emphasis on accountability. So there were accountability to the Liberian government. That was one of the benefits that Tarbot did during his time in administration. Tarbot was the first person that audited Firestone. And demanded them to pay some backpack taxes. But if we go back to Firestone coming into Liberia and all the 
the stuff they had to go through it was the worst day ever in, Liberia, in the history of Liberia but Liberia was between the, the problem of losing her sovereignty or doing a deal with Firestone and she took a deal with Firestone which was the worst negotiation in the history of Liberia but then she did not leave that certain part of her agreement that she should have done Firestone should have built railroads through Liberia it was part of the initial agreement she didn't do it but even though Torbo audited them and they had to pay fees, I wanna he had told them to go back and, uh, and carry on the uh, construction of railroads in Liberia. Okay, was hosting the OAU the right decision for Liberia in 1979? That one of the tough things we gotta talk about. The Organization of African Unity. Okay, an estimate cost of 200 million. So it cost the country 200 million to host the OAU. And doing nothing uh, because foreign dignitaries come into the country. So what did Toba did? He fleet a 50 Mercedes Benz Sudan. He bought 50, 50 Mercedes Sudans at the time. You know, that would escort foreign, you know, services. So if you, if you realize from RIA all the way to to the conference center OAU, those were improved, the rules and, and everything was built for the OAU. And those bands were wrecked by those during his coup, the following years. They wrecked 50 bands. Hotel Africa and Villa Bills, Africa's first five-star hotel. The first five-star hotel in the continent, on the continent of Africa, was Hotel Africa. The first five-star hotel. And Turbo was elected as chairman of EU that very year. So the question is, was it a right idea? It's something we can argue about. Maybe some people say it was a right idea. Some people might argue, say, oh, maybe the 200 million could have been used to expand our road network during those days. Because like in 1979, 200 million worth now, I went and did some economic research, 200 million worth today would be 716 million. This amount today's worth, it will be 716 million. So, so, so was it a good idea for us to host the OEU at the time? The Turbo won the power, that's the reason he hosted the OEU, because by hosting the OEU, it was like a clear sign of the way he let this guy, you know, this kind of great thing, because number one, man, if you have been Hotel Africa, man, it was, it was the, the top. And it was so shocking, you know, when I went to visit Liberia, I went across the whole Africa, like everything is room. And the sad thing about hey, because even when Taylor was in power, Hotel Africa was still it was still functioning, it was still good. I remember sleeping in the villa. All the villas and Hotel Africa, the, everything was still in, in top shape. So it seemed like betraying the whole World War One, World War Two. That's when the, the hotel got looted. And in reality, that's the problem I have. We keep blaming government. But the ruin of Hotel Africa, it was done by civilians. Civilians helped. The World War One, World War Two, it destroyed part of it, but civilians helped to loot that hotel. The guy remember sleeping in the villa in 2000, 2001, 2002, the hotel was operating. I went into that hotel. I slept in a room in that hotel in, in, in 2000. Yeah, I slept in a hotel. 
in our hotel in 2000. Yep, the room, the room, the old hotel. You know, during any time somebody promised, uh, South Africa, when I hosting a women conference, they said we're going to invest 100 million in, the, in, in, in refurbishing the hotel. Nothing happened. And come on, that's that hotel is is a it's a that's a great investment. Why the Labyrinth government can invest into the hotel? Why they can't redo the hotel? Instead, they're taking 25 million, they're mopping our economy, they're doing things that you know that's not beneficial to the Liberian people. So the big question remains: Was hosting the OAU the right decision for Liberia in 1979? I don't know. I mean, I can say it was the right decision to, to do it. It was a red decision, you know. Because building the first five-star hotel in Liberia, oh my God, that's great. And I think the government owned it for that time, but in 1980, I'm still doing search, but when Tawa, when, when Doden took over, they gave the hotel to a British Liberian by the name of Marco Doe. I haven't done much to uh, Marco Doe. I don't know whether he's related to Doe or not. Marco Doe was a part, who was the owner of the hotel in the 80s. And what happened to him when when Prince Johnson took over that area? Prince Johnson killed him, threw him out from the fourth floor. Yeah, Prince Johnson killed him. The same Prince Johnson that killed our president. And he's walking around today, he's a senator for the Republic. It, it's a sad thing. Federal librarian would need to go back and look at our history. We need to look at our faults and failures. And even those people that even caused these things to happen, they must pay for them. You know, they can come and apologize or some of that crime, they need to go to prison and save some time. We can't just be in the whole thing. Oh, everything is okay. Oh, I forgive you. No, there got to be respiration. People have to pay for their crimes. If you just join us, I want to say welcome to the Liberia Enlightenment series hosted by Reverend Joseph Seifer Z.K. Davis. Talk about foreign policy. I think this is one of the places Tobo actually messed. I think that one of the places Tobo actually messed up in the uh, the whole foreign policy thing. I think he messed around big time. Uh, Tobo and foreign policy. A Bannon taught me strong pro West foreign policy. Tubman was a full Tubman was pro West foreign policy, and that's how Tubman built the economy. When Tubman, when Tubman signed negotiation relationship with America during the World War II, the, the free port of Morocco today is America that built that port, the American uh, 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 military, the Royal International Airport, the runway, you see, one of the, the best runway that they've been lasting forever, you know, it's, you know, it was during Tubman time, it was the American. So the American were great allies. They actually built the economy for Liberia during that time. The Liberia, the Liberia uh, mining company. It was an American company, and talk and talk and made it in a way that that Liberians in about two years and in negotiation, Liberians are going to take over all the senior managerial position in Lamco. They became the Liberia American Swedish Mining Company in 1954 when the Swedish joined 
uh, 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 the negotiation to be part of the, the money of Liberia. So, like America was a strong ally. So, I still don't know why. You know, I haven't thought Liberia diplomacy. You know, but I'm hoping I can get a chance to be able to, you know, latch up a negotiation because diplomacy is my area. It's my specialization. I wanna uh, in my, in my legal career. <clears throat> Uh, Yabano Tottenham strong pro West foreign policy. I think after this relationship got damaged, I think the how come America and our allies stop buying more rubber and iron ore from Liberia. I think it took a deep dive for our economy. That's my own perspective. You may disagree with me. He established diplomatic relationship with the Soviet Union, China, Cuba, and and several other Eastern by countries. Was this a smart move? I don't think it was a smart move. It was the dumbest move. You were vice president and you know the, the relationship that happened, it built your economy and your economy was strong when your president died when you took over in line over the constitution. You know, and now you know about the Soviet Union. You know, they were they were they were good allies of America. No, China. No, at the time Cuba. No, these are all socialist republic. <laughs> it was the worst people to work with during those days during the Cold War. But that was Thomas' decision. He was the president. He's the chief architect of foreign policy of the republic, and that's what he did. And and, and, and look at this other one again. During during the Yankampu. Which is this? Uh, which is a, a torment? It's an atonement celebration in the Jewish uh, in the Jewish uh, uh, faith. So, the Yakapun War. It was a war that Syria and Egypt launched on Asia. Why they were celebrating the atonement? Why they were praying? Egypt and Syria launched Misa and started attacking Asia on that day. Uh, it, it's, it's, tell me, is it the best time for you to go and speak? October 1973, Tobas spoke in favor of recognizing national rights of the Palestinian people. Was it the right time for such statement? I said no. As somebody who was a trained negotiation from one of the top uh, school of dispute resolution in America in the world, I would say that's the dumbest time to make such a statement. You have already break tie, and not forgetting Syria and each other time they had tie with Russia and China. You break tie with America, your economy is cramping a little bit. Then boop. Then you make statement why Asia is under attack, and you advocating for 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 Palestinian right. And if the Akapon war, the Syrians and the Egyptians, they just wanted to run over Egypt and take all the Sinai area and use it for negotiation. I don't think it was the right time for him to make that statement. Though he supported U.S. rule in Vienna, you see, even America, the people didn't support the, the rule they play in Vienna. And you supported the rule in Vienna. So, talk about this some. Um, he has some terrible foreign policy. Even had a meeting with the, with the prime minister at the time with South Africa. The guy flew into the country secretly. 
the Prime Minister of South Africa at the time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> at the time, apartheid is happening. Our, our our brothers and sisters, our black brothers and sisters being being dehumanized in South Africa and Turbo inviting this guy secretly, Prime Minister of, of, of South Africa to a meeting in Liberia. <laughs> oh my gosh. Turbo has a crazy foreign policy decision. I didn't see my foreign policy was just a, it was just it was just terrible. Yeah. You may disagree with me, but I think it was terrible. This major foreign policy decision and move he made, I think it affected Liberia greatly. It affected the economy, it affected our relationship. And some people may even say that what contributed to his death. That's one of the scenarios people get. Who killed Tarbo? Okay. Who killed Tarbo? Where the Arab Tarbo? Okay, Chia Chipo during TRC, he alleged it was the CIA that killed Tarbo. And it went able to break into that it was a white American CIA agent who shot and killed Tarbo. Oh my God, I don't know what he is in the room. If it's a white guy, doesn't mean it's a CIA or they got so many white guys from different different countries. Dr. Obama family testified before the TRC noting that the Americans did not support the coup led by Mr. Doe. And I agree with him. The Americans did not support the coup that was led by Doe. And even after the two coup, the America America refused to recognize Doe. And you know what Doe did? Because Doe still has some smart educated guys from Tottenham. Those one he didn't kill. And you know what they told Doe? They said Doe, break relationship with America and, and, and recognize the sovereign union. As soon as, as soon Doe took that move to recognize the, the, the sovereign union, Washington called right away. Washington made the phone call straight to Doe. The how can Washington recognize Doe? The how can Washington took Doe to America? The how can Reagan invited Doe? The how can America start sending all the millions of dollars that Doe had and he messed everything up? So I agree with that formula theory. America had nothing to do with the coup. Tava wife theory. A white hand killed her husband. It'd be possible. Tava had caused all these, you know, diplomatic issues. Go back to Firestone, all the thing Firestone, and you know, paying, forcing a pay tax back. Well, all these things can create issue. If you don't know about the corporate war, come on, cooperation. They pay missionaries to go and overthrow governments in Africa because they won't get some diamond contract because they won't get some gold contract. That that simple thing in, in international affair and terrorism, corporate corporate the corporate war. They pay missionaries and they go in other countries, Asian countries and African countries and the overthrow uh, uh, president so they can buy cheap diamonds. Why is it in the war in Angola still going on? Oh, because you got corporate people that pay missionaries, they buy more guns and we kill one another and, and still nothing happening. So it's possible. It's possible. It was a white hand. It's possible. It's not. Then you got the unknown soldier. It is reported that our unknown soldier was the one of the white missionary who has changed the 1980 stage, the 1980 coup, military takeover of the state. It's possible. I think this scenario is 100% possible. 
They can, the other thing was the missionaries and I carry on this thing. It's possible. But there we go. Let me finish. 133 years of America Liberia ends. It ended. Oh, uh, ended 1980. 